Mini episode 1495 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1495. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with you. And uh, we have a topic of conversation today which is going to be uh, interesting in a lot of different ways. We're going to be talking about the 2022 USFL season, looking back on it. And uh, it does seem in our society that uh, 2022 seems to be the year of everything old is new again. Uh, I'll forego the easy hack joke about the figures atop both of our major political parties in this country, but you can look in any number of different areas, whether it be in wrestling with Jim Crockett Promotions and Austin Idol. Those are names you didn't think you'd be hearing as being relevant in 2022. Uh, no offense to either one of those two. Uh, but uh, on and on it goes. Carol Burnett, of all people, is going to be a pivotal actress uh, toward the end of Better Call Saul. She has been cast in there. So there's a lot of names you didn't think you'd be hearing as being in the present in 2022. Now, we did know the USFL comeback was coming, obviously. You don't just start operating in 2022. Uh, they'd had a year or two to get ready for this thing, but uh, it operated and unfolded in an absolutely unique manner. And for that, we bring back in a very good friend of ours uh, from uh, our Sports Central, uh, football columnist Franz Stuckberry, uh, and also uh, an FDH Lounge dignitary, one of our regular contributors here on the show. And uh, Fran, it's great to have you back on to talk about this. Uh, nobody watches more football that I know than you, so I know that you are uh, keen to talk about uh, all that happened with the 2022 USFL season. But before we um, you know, get to that, Rick, I want to discuss, back in 2019, I covered with the Alliance of American Football, and that folded after eight weeks of the finances. In 2020, the, I covered the XFL, um, uh, and that fold, and that um, fold after five weeks to the COVID nineteen. So, at least the United States Football League in twenty twenty two forced the finish line a complete season. Yes, they did. And uh, what I found interesting, as far as this revival of the USFL, doing a little bit of research here on this, I'm sure you knew this, but I didn't. But that they are essentially licensing the rights to the name from the original owners here. The Fox Sports, uh, they had set up this league, and they're owning and operating it. And, of course, it was on their network. They sublet some of the TV rights to NBC Sports and Peacock. So I just assumed that they bought all the assets and everything else. No, not the case. Essentially, they're leasing the name and that there are ongoing payments going to the original owners of it. Uh, probably not a whole lot, but at least a little bit of money. Didn't know that. Well, there's still a lawsuit go that, that's still they're trying to settle. Uh, probably I, they'll probably settle out of court. There's no reason for, 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 you know for that to be not to be done uh, sooner than later. But and once that that gets settled, maybe Fox will use more of the old USFL nostalgia because it would have been interesting if the Philadelphia Stars won the USFL championship. Would they have said it was their fourth championship? 
Or would they have not with the legal issues? Yeah. Well, we don't have to. We don't have to answer that question this week. Yeah, that's true. Uh, they they came close. I had told you off air. I had actually sort of adopted Philadelphia as my team. Uh, I have a couple friends that live in Philly, so to the extent that they cared about the USFL, they would have been rooting for the Stars. Uh, I, I always like to kind of focus on somebody here. Like I had adopted Houston in the XFL because I've always thought that June Jones was an underrated genius and somebody who never gets talked about enough in the history of football as far as his contribution to the run and shoot and modern offenses and everything like that, the spread offense. Here, Bart Andrews was somebody that I latched on to. Uh, Andrews is somebody that he's been sort of a uh, journeyman coach, I guess you could say, relative to some of the other figures that were in here. And uh, he was finally getting a chance in the spotlight, and I was kind of rooting for the stars because of him. And, uh, yeah, that's a very interesting point as to whether it would have been Philadelphia as a multi-time champion or just as the champion of the revived USFL, but it didn't come to that with them coming up short in the championship game. Yeah, I mean, Rick, I mean, the championship game, it, it, I mean, being um, uh, in Canada, it, um, it had a good crowd. Um, it, was, it was probably the best game of the season I, uh, I saw season. Yeah, and uh, very fitting that it would be uh, in the uh, championship game, but... As far as, you know, I alluded to this at the outset, that this was very, very unique as far as how this all played out. And the thing that you have to go and look at most of all when you say that is the fact that it was essentially a hub league. It was all based around being in Birmingham the entire season up to the very end when it moved to uh, Canton for the playoffs. But as far as uh, it, it being there, you touched on it in 2020, the XFL shutting down because of the COVID-19 pandemic because it just wasn't feasible to keep going under the circumstances. So the first thing you look at here is, well, gee, there's not a whole lot of other leagues that are still doing things like this, but was this because of COVID? No. This was taking a concept that came to be under COVID, where you would have that, you had the NBA bubble, you had the NHL bubble up in Canada, this whole concept, this wasn't exactly a bubble, but as far as just being in one location, they were taking something from the COVID era and using it essentially just to save money because there wouldn't be any kind of costs involved with travel, with all these stadiums in the league, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it ended up being a thing where every weekend you'd have the four games and the only game whatsoever where you'd see a trace of people in the stands, and I do mean trace, was when Birmingham was playing. Yeah, when Birmingham was playing, you had good crowds. And the other thing was, I give those Birmingham fans credit. They had to do 10 weeks. I mean, a, a normal league would, you know, um, with a team's home stage, you only have to commit to five. So, like, um, you know, but I give them credit. And plus, some of the fans toward the end of the season, got, you, get a little, you get a little burned out from going all these games. And plus, towards the end of the season, you're dealing with the sweltering heat. There is Birmingham. that, yeah. And... Again, I'm not exactly familiar with what kind of policies the league had as far as charitable giveaways and whatever, but if for no other reason than the fact that essentially that stadium is your TV studio and it looks lame as heck on TV uh, to, to have to be playing in an empty stadium. I mean, I just wondered as far as like any of the boys and girls clubs of Birmingham or anything like that, like was there anything out there of where you could have given away tickets and be like, hey, come watch some football, have a good time. Or I wonder if even the charitable organizations were like, no thanks, it is minor league football. Well, the other problem was the stadium was so big, and then towards the end of the season, they they, had, they played a couple of games at Legion Field, and that's, that field is even way bigger than Progressive Stadium. 
Yeah, and that's one of those things where what it reminded me of was uh, watching uh, high school football uh, back, you know, in, in, in my era here when I was in high school. Uh, we, we have a little stadium here, and it's a thing where you, you'd have the parents and the fans and everything like that cloistered around the 50-yard line and kind of going out from there. And you go past the 20-yard line at most, and you would be seeing little to no amount of people, certainly nobody in the end zones. And that's what it reminded me of for the Birmingham Stallions games, is that even when they had people, they were tightly cloistered into the best seats. Nobody was in the cheap seats. Well, I will say one thing, Rick. I mean, the games, from a competitive standpoint, a lot of games came down to the wire. But the thing is, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's fine and dandy. But at the same point, when you're watching these, when you have these close games and you have no fan energy, it's. I've had friends tuning in and they watch. They they, they read my round the U.S. Mocom and they see these videos. They see nobody in the stands. Like, friend, what is going on here? I mean, why are they so empty? I have to explain to them. They're playing in Hub City, and only for and, and for, for, for the general, for the most part, the only people that came into the games is when the Birmingham Stallions had home games. I had to explain to them why um, there were so many empty stands. It was again like like playing in an empty TV studio, essentially. I mean, that's essentially what that stadium was for three out of the four games every weekend, and then of course, like I said, you'd have the Birmingham games that would be quasi attended Birmingham Stallions games, I should say. And uh, going through, it, it was a very uh, uh, mixed product, I think, at best in terms of what was there in terms of the talent pool. For spring football, you've always got the guys who didn't have a chance to make it into the NFL who would like to. This is essentially an extended audition tape for everybody that is involved in here. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you see a couple of these guys shake out uh, in the NFL here and get that other opportunity uh, but, uh, again, everybody kind of knows going in uh, what the talent level is going to be. That's one of the reasons where, again, I think it is such a testament to the insane amount of popularity that football has in this country. Uh, when you look at what the ratings are for this, and uh, the, the ratings were certainly, I mean, relative to the talent level involved, uh, they were way above what you would have expected. And the way that football does relative to even you know, hockey playoffs, regular season baseball, all these things that just leave me flabbergasted. I go back to 2020 with the XFL, the St. Louis team. Uh, I believe in the local ratings, this happened at least a couple times, they outdrew the St. Louis Blues coming off of a Stanley Cup championship. I mean, that's just emblematic of where we're at here. People will watch any level of football in the spring as long as it is football. Well, well, Rick, I take a look. I mean, it killed Major League Soccer, right? Yes. Major League Soccer has been around for 20 years. I, I mean, people will watch football uh, any time, any day. But I will say one thing, like one thing I mentioned in my, my, my column, but the, league, the league has to have a set time of games that we get fans accustomed to knowing when these games are on. I mean, obviously their best windows are, are Saturday nights. If they, get, if they can have a consistent Saturday night, 8 o'clock game on you know NBC or Fox every Every week um, during the USL season, the ratings are going to be good. And now NBC's mentioned they're going to try to have this fall games after significant events, you know, for that rating, like, you know, like uh, Kentucky Derby or some other other events going on. Yeah, and again, you know, lead-ins are everything uh, a lot of times here. I mean, that can be very helpful uh, if – I mean, I, I'm always – amazed just from a TV standpoint how important they still are but uh, people are too lazy apparently to turn the channel a lot of times from what they have on previously and uh, again that will benefit them by having 
a good lead in. But uh, talk no, but, about. watching that game, and uh, again, you know, sinking feeling in my stomach watching it, and uh, very interesting that, again, it was held in Canton, so there were, there was some kind of a deal there with the Hall of Fame Village, which it just goes to show you that uh, the Hall of Fame and the Hall of Fame Village and all of that kind of stuff there, it underlines that it is a separate entity from the NFL, because the NFL's partner, whether it's official or unofficial for spring football, is going to be the XFL once it comes back next year, uh, not the USFL. So uh, this is a very interesting thing as far as playing it there. It was very good image-wise, I felt, uh, to, to do it there, to associate yourself with the great history of football in this country. You're able to draw a decent amount of people into those stands. Those the, When you, the, you saw the games in Canton, it definitely looked a lot better than it did uh, in Birmingham. Complete uh, difference uh, as far as, you know, seeing a live crowd and seeing people that were really into it and in a relatively intimate stadium. And because, uh, and because uh, I mean, it was a small, small stadium. And the other thing is uh, I'm, I'm actually glad to have, because this one, if the, if, um, originally the chances were going to be in Birmingham, but they had um, conflicts. So, uh, I mean, all see, I was even mentioning my comment, but I, I, I felt like Birmingham, that, you know, was was winning so much because they because they had they, they did have a, 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 a an advantage playing home every week not 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 as significant because all the teams played left Birmingham and slept Birmingham but they did have an advantage playing in front of those those fans every single week. Well, as you had talked about off air, the whole thing about uh, the pay structure for the league here. Uh, Forty-five thousand dollars for active roster players, fifteen thousand if you were on the practice squad, six hundred weekly during training camp. Win bonuses of $850 and $10,000 for winning the championship. Now, players had to pay their own rent. The league did get them a reduced hotel cost of $75 per room per day with an option for two players to share a room. By the way, thank you to Wikipedia for this information here so I don't get uh, uh, sued for stealing information. But as far as how that went, this is one of these things where presumably all of these guys, I would think, back in their home cities, they're probably already paying rent or a mortgage as it was. So you're essentially paying to live in two different places during the course of the season here. And that's one of those things that just doesn't seem very feasible or fair. Well, the other thing is, with, with the season ending so late, I mean, you're not going to get as many NFL opportunities as if, as, if a, as if a player plays in the XFL in a season ends, you know, mid to end of April. Well, that is very true, and as we uh, look ahead to see what's coming here, the, the XFL, of course, in 2023, coming back uh, under the management of uh, The Rock and his wife and everyone that's involved there. Uh, as I say, the quasi-partnership with uh, the NFL, where they're going to be trying out some rules issues, and uh, the NFL will sort of be using them as a little bit of a science lab to see what works and what doesn't work. And this is a thing where uh, you had educated me on this off-air as far as the player contracts for the USFL. So it would be very difficult, apparently, for a lot of these guys to jump to the XFL. So they may hang on to a lot of the guys that they had this year at the talent level they're at 
uh, and we all kind of know what that is. But it's not going to get any better than it was this year in terms of the talent level because you're going to have the XFL out there as well. And oh, by the way, a constant in all of this is the CFL. That's always been another option is for players to go play in Canada even before all of this. So it's not going to get any better in terms of being able to raise the level of play next season, it would seem. One thing is, Rick, there's, there's always going to there's, there's be players out there that are going to want to play. It's going to be, it's going to be it may be kind of like different tiers. And that's the way it looks like. It's going to be, you can, you can have players that, you know, play in one league, or if they don't make the team, they'll play in that league. And recently with the USFL, they'll have a, at least they'll have a, a base of players probably come back on these rosters, so they'll have some continuity. And the thing is, the problem, the problem with, with the USFL this season was it, it was a run heavy league, but a main reason why it was that is because they had such a short training camp. So, so, I mean, what, what's the best way to move to football? Run, 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 baby, run. That's true. Yeah, you don't have... Uh... The, the option for all of the quarterback turnovers here. Woody Hayes would have loved this league. Uh, three yards in a cloud of dust indeed. But uh, as far as how it goes for next year as well, uh, another thing you and I had talked about off air is the sense that uh, there may be another hub city in the mix next year as well as uh, Birmingham with the option potentially by Fox Sports to move beyond to the next year and maybe put teams actually in their own stadiums. Imagine that. What a radical concept. So uh, it could be uh, Birmingham and some other city in the mix next year for all of the games. At the very least, you're going to cut down by 50% the number of games where there's nobody in the stands. Well, I mean, since they got such a security on Birmingham, there's probably going to be the hub in the South. I mean, the thing is, the U.S. Fellow, they're going to look for the best deal. They're going to look for the best bargain, the best you know money from, from these cities. So uh, New Jersey doesn't seem likely. They're, they're not going to... I don't think the MLS teams going to play at Red Bull Arena, and I don't feel I don't think and Rutgers, from what I've heard, from heard, is not really an ideal place to have a hub. It's um, um as far as there, I mean, a, a, a city that would be good is probably Philadelphia because you can get fans in Philadelphia, you can get fans from New Jersey, and you might even get you know, some fans from, from Pittsburgh occasionally make the trip. Michigan might be a, a place to go if they can find a a, a, a place to a place to play in a good deal. And that's a, I mean, there's passionate fans in Michigan that was that, um, that would definitely support the team, and and you might. Um, have something there, but I, the way things are going, Rick, I'd be surprised we we hear um, a second hub by until by the end of the year. It's gonna be a slow process. It's gonna be lots of negotiating. It's gonna it's gonna drag out. For, I mean, look how long did Birmingham to finally negotiate the deal? We knew it was gonna happen, but it took so long to finally, you know, cross those eyes and dot those T's. Well, that's true. And uh, again, for for Michigan, I think we could rule out the big house as far as being an affordable place to rent out. But uh, when you start looking at this here, because Michigan is something of a state like my native Ohio, where you have an awful lot of uh, colleges out there that play football and uh, smaller venues available, Eastern Michigan, how about that? You've got some kind of, uh, you know, uh, short drive there from the Detroit area, play it in Ypsilanti, go rent out there, stadium, what's that going to possibly cost you? So, there are some ways to do this, and again, the smaller the stadium, the better, because it's not going to look as garbo on TV, you know, when you've only got, you know, a couple thousand fans there, potentially, so, you know, these are things that uh, will come into play as they're examining their options for next year. And Rick, I, I can't see Pittsburgh on, on signs, I mean, wherever the new field's called. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I can't, I mean, 
<laughs> well, I, I call it the field where uh, the Browns beat uh, the Steelers in the last playoff game ever known as Heinz Field there. That's what it'll always be to me. But uh, as far as uh, you know, what uh, yeah, the, the areas in the north, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, uh, for, for the New Jersey one, uh, again, if, if you make it more of a tri-state kind of a thing in terms of the branding, I mean, if you bring NYC into the mix, uh, you know, there's any number of places here, too, where if you just put a football field down on what they've already got, uh, you know, it could be kind of interesting. If not for the fact that, as I understand it, another team plays there now. You know, what about where the, St the Staten Island Yankees used to play, you know? But I guess they got another minor league baseball team there now, so it's not like you could use that facility. But uh, you know, if you open it up to New York as well as New Jersey, you could find any number of venues. And, uh, again, what's how is it going to play out for TV? What's it going to look like? Because that's going to be something where, again, you're, you're going to be in the mix competing with the XFL next year. You're sort of competing against yourself once you're the only spring league here. But... Uh, this is going to be, you know, the spring football wars in 2023. I don't think it's going to be the same uh, talent caliber and all of that as the Monday Night Wars and wrestling, Fran, but it will be interesting to watch the XFL uh, and USFL. Remember, there's, 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 a, there's a possibility on the, um, the XFL and USL season to overlap a couple of weeks with the XFL having the championship the USL starting this season. Another thing, as we see all season long, Rick, is that ESPN is um, practically not, they has, didn't even mention USL all season long. No highlights, no nothing. So, but then again, Fox, I mean, they, they, they were keeping everything in-house. I mean, they had Archie Young doing his thing, Colin Coward reading a, reading a script, you know, and, they, and they, were, they kept everything in-house. They didn't really share the wealth with it. With with all the media outlets or um or, or people, I mean, I I wasn't able to do a season preview because I didn't know um, anything about the rosters. Well, yeah, and that the ESPN angle of it was entirely predictable. I mean, they are essentially like Lacosa well, Nostra. If you're not paying them the protection money of being on their network, I mean, look at the way that they used to bury. Uh, the NHL, and they used to act like uh, the Arena Football League was more important than the NHL uh, once uh, the NHL went to NBC Sports and they picked up the Arena Football League and uh, how they changed their tune now, now they're covering it. So, yeah, unsurprising because this is, on a corporate level, you have the intrigue of that as well because you have Fox Sports and NBC Sports and their entities aligned against all the properties of Disney because what you're going to have next year is you're going to have some of these XFL games, ESPN, presumably ESPN2, ABC. I don't know if Hulu's going to get any of them exclusively. <laughs> FX, okay. Probably some on ESPN+. Plus. So you're going to have uh, the whole weight and might of uh, Disney here uh, going up against essentially the alliance of uh, Fox Sports and NBC Sports ongoing with uh, the USFL. And, uh, actually, last year, you know, the, uh, the excellent games are going to be on ESPN, ABC, and FX, the regular, regular season games. But I definitely see ESPN Plus being involved with some sort of like you know behind the scenes content. Because yeah. I mean, ESPN Plus is looking for more content. Now they just raise their fee up like three dollars more a month. So they get, and the thing is, if you're an XFL fan, if they offer you something that's really appealing to you, you're going to go on board and you're going to purchase that, or maybe. Maybe buy the bundle package with Hulu and, and Disney Plus just to get some extra extra ball content. Yeah, that pisses me off when I saw they were raising that because I got it this past winter. It was a great deal. I was able to watch as many Detroit Red Wings games as I wanted to be able to on there because they didn't put the NHL games behind a paywall. And 
now it's almost like they might as well have by raising the ESPN Plus cost. Uh, they're, they're trying to force everybody into that Disney bundle, which, you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a guy where there's just not really much of anything on Disney Plus that's that appealing to me, so I'll never go for that. But, uh, you know, in, in terms of how this is going to shake out here uh, going into next season, uh, you know, the, the USFL, as you said, they made it through year one of the uh, the relaunch here. So there is something to be said for that. Uh, they are one for three in terms of leagues doing that, making it through successfully to the end since 2019. So we are seeing the viability of spring football in that way. And my conclusion on this is, is that I don't know that there's room in the marketplace for both them and the XFL. We'll see. And like you said, the fact that uh, there might only be a slight overlap of the seasons here, if you're not forcing people to choose, look, we've seen this year. I mean, if you just throw out something and you spray paint the name football on it, people are going to watch it anyway. So I don't know if there's necessarily room for two leagues or one league going forward. Obviously, the less overlap that they have, the better for both of them. But it's a thing where I think the lesson of this is, and we have to say, particularly with COVID-19 having happened in 2020 here and some of the things being ongoing, the ramifications with that, you always have to say all things being equal, right? Because there's always going to be acts of God that we can't foresee. But all things being equal, the lesson of this is, I think we're going to have spring football in some form or fashion every year from here on going forward. Do you draw the same conclusion? One of these guys like five to ten years from now. We have, we have, there is a market for Rick. There is a market for spring football. People love football. I mean, it's fun to watch. It's entertaining. It's a lot better than watching baseball sometimes. It's a lot better than watching Major League Soccer. That's going to just be hidden on Apple TV, which no one's going to care about. That's my opinion. But, um, yeah, but it's just, um, yeah, I mean, the people love football. People watch any given time, any given day. If it's on TV, they'll have it on, Rick. Absolutely. And uh, it's here to stay. And uh, again, uh, congratulations to uh, Birmingham for having uh, won the championship this year, for having overcome all of the strife that they had to overcome by playing all of their games on their own field, even their road games. But uh, congratulations to uh, Birmingham. And uh, again, uh, thank you to you, uh, as always, for your great analysis, uh, Fran Stuckberry. And uh, again, people can always check out all of your great football content at OurSportsCentral.com. Thanks, Rick. I, I enjoy writing that um, around the U.S. football I enjoy doing the players this week. I, I love doing it on Sun Hero. Instead of being, picking a special team player, I picked a player that had, had keep playing the game that will help win them the game. That was a fun aspect. Uh, my power ranks were fun with a couple of one lines on each team. In, in general, covering the season, the league was fun. It was, it was an exercise of time finding offensive players in the league. But, I mean, like I said, I, in general, I, I enjoy writing the column every week and giving people good analysis. Yes, very good analysis indeed, and uh, again, you, you'd really kind of cornered the market on it because you couldn't find anything anywhere else like what you were producing, and uh, again, uh, your football coverage is always very special at OurSportsCentral.com. Appreciate the chance to talk to you as always, my friend, and thank you everybody for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1495.